Hi, I'm Michael. I'm a multi-store business owner, profession jumping entrepreneur, investor, pretty funny improv artist, and ooh, so neurotic. Best of all, I'm always looking for something new and entertaining. I am a TV host and your host right now for what we call the Second Scene Podcast. It is a Dweebs Global production where you can go for free help, mental health assistance, and so much more. And there's no catch. It's completely confidential and free. So please go to dweebsglobal.org. So I'm here today with Kayleen Johnson. Kayleen is a former LDS member. She spent her entire life as a devout member of the Church of Latter-day Saints, only exiting the church a little over three years ago. Since leaving the church, her and her family's lives have done a complete 360, working full-time, hosting her own podcast, and supporting others with physical and emotional scars. Yep. Welcome. Thank you. And it's actually less than a year that I've left. Oh my God, really? I got yep. the main part wrong. It's been Oh, <laughs> no, it's, it really, like, I started kind of questioning about three years ago. Okay. So, like, it's been a slow kind of tiptoeing out a little bit and then like officially left in October of last year. Okay. So it was like 2018 was when you started to. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We're going to get to why you left and all of that soon, but I awesome. thought we could give the viewers and the listeners a brief overview of what LDS is. It's, it's Mormon, correct? Yes. It's the yeah. same thing. Okay. Yep. So they, they now like to be called by like the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. They So they really like you to say the whole thing. I there, don't care. <laughs> is there a reason for that? Is there, because I know they switched. They, they wanted you to, they, they wanted to leave the word Mormons behind. And Yeah, I legitimately don't know. Like, it's one of the things that when it was announced that they wanted us to use, like, the whole name and not shorten it to Mormon or LDS, I was just like, I roll. Um, cause I didn't think that that really mattered. So I honestly don't know exactly why they did it, but I know that it has cost lots of money to do that because they've completely like rebranded, like they've changed their websites. Like so many things have changed and rebranded. And I was like, that's what you're going to put your emphasis on. So anyway, I don't know exactly why they did it. Do you think it had anything to do with the Broadway play Book of Mormon and they wanted to, you know, I would not be surprised if it had stuff to do with marketing, like wanting to kind of dissociate themselves from like Mormon and those kinds of things. I really wouldn't be surprised if there was some of that in it. Um, I just think it's kind of silly personally. What was it like growing up in the, in, in the religion? So I mean, it didn't bother me growing up because I didn't know any different. And to add to it all, I not only was raised in the religion, I was also raised in a fall in a small farming community that was also overwhelmingly LDS. So I didn't technically go to a church high school or any, or to church schools or anything technically, but so many people were LDS that went to the schools that it was almost like going to church schools growing up. Everyone was basically, you know, everyone knew what you were supposed to do because the majority of people were LDS. I could probably count on two hands how many people weren't LDS. Could you be be friends with the people that weren't LDS? Was it very... I mean, it kind of depended. Mostly, no. Like, mostly growing up, you're taught you should only be friends with people who share your values. 
And so that means that basically if they're not LDS, you shouldn't spend time with them because they can bring you down. You should only spend time with people who are going to bring you up and be good influences on you and not spend time with people who are going to be bad influences on you. And so mostly that most people take that to mean you can only be friends with LDS people. And so there, that was always a problem at the height, especially the high school that I went to. Um, there were a few people who weren't LDS and they were often labeled as the bad kids or what have you, because they weren't LDS. But typically were they just as well behaved and yes, yes. Like I've, uh, yes. Like I've had a couple of them on my podcast, actually a couple of people who weren't LDS on my podcast and like, they were good kids. Cause I mean, I went to a small high school, so like everyone knew everyone. My graduating class was like 175 people or something like that. So at my high school, basically everyone knows everyone because it's a small farming community. And so I knew all of these people and I was like, well, they were so kind. Like they were always so nice, but because of this like training, I guess that I had, I just didn't like talk with them a whole lot, but no, they were great people. Just people didn't think so sometimes. Right. Part of me can't imagine that. Um, just being something so ingrained in your head from birth that you would treat somebody so differently, but we all, we all definitely have that. Mm -hmm. It's just, Oh, absolutely. It's just a lot. It's kind of just exacerbated Mm -hmm. within the church. And I don't want to say like as a whole, because some people are not that way. It really depends on how you're raised because some parents don't raise their kids like that. And so I'm not saying that this is for the church as a whole. This is just my personal experience. Uh, so, cause I really do want to make sure that I'm not like bashing the church because I have lots of friends and family who are still like very devout members. So I'm going to try really hard not to like bash the church, but I really struggle with it. <laughs> I got you. I, I kind of, I want to say, I understand. I guess I sympathize. I, uh, it, it's a tough position to be in when you have mm-hmm. certain views and you, you have to tread lightly on how you express them. Exactly. Um, did you ever question the religion when you were a child or a teenager? No, not in the least bit. I, not ever. <laughs> it wasn't until much later in life. I am now, I'm 31. Yeah, I'm 31. And it wasn't until probably about age 26 that I started struggling a little bit more with it uh, just because of experiences that I had. Um, but all growing up, I was like, no, this is what I like. This is what I'm supposed to do. This is the truth and all of that. And so I did my best to follow this like straight, narrow path. And when I made some like mistakes, my junior year of high school, cause I had a really rough year. Um, I was so full of shame because I wasn't doing what I was supposed to do. And I lost a lot of my friends because I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. Like a lot of my friends just kind of up and left and wouldn't interact with me anymore. And that's when I found who found out who my true friends are. And oddly enough, they were ones who weren't very active LDS people uh, (laughs) that were actually there for me. Uh, But overall, like I, I did whatever I could to stay on the straight and narrow. And by all means, like, by all appearances, I have like the typical Mormon life. 
I went to BYU. I got married in the temple. I got, you know, I got sealed in the temple to a returned missionary. I have three young kids. Like by all of those appearances, I have a typical Mormon life, but I really don't. (laughs) (laughs) What was so bad? I don't know if you want to talk about what was so bad in high school that, that people would really shame you or. So, um, giving just a tiny bit of background. So when I was 16, so my junior year, both of my grandfathers passed away within four months of one another from the exact same cancer. And that's a lot for a 16 year old to go through. Um, and my parents aren't emotional people. They don't, they don't emote, they don't share about their emotions. They don't talk about things. And so it was always this, everything's fine. Like, you know, they're old, they've lived good lives. This is sad, but it's okay. And it was like, I was never allowed to be sad about it. And when, again, when you're telling a 16 year old, whether you're actually saying it or just kind of hinting at it, if you're saying you have no reason to be sad, you need to get over this. It creates a lot of trauma within you and some difficulty. So I didn't know how to deal with everything that I was feeling on the inside. And I didn't think I was allowed to express it. So I started hanging out. I did start hanging out with someone who was not a good person. Like, honestly, he just was not a good person, especially for me. Cause I had a really low self-esteem. I had no self-confidence and he preyed on girls like that. Like that was what he did. And so I started spending a lot of time with him and just kind of doing things with him that I shouldn't have done, shouldn't have done. I'm going to put that in air quotes, shouldn't have done. And, um, I started skipping seminary. It's released time. Seminary is what I went to growing up. Most people who don't live in an LDS centric area have to go to seminary early morning. And it's basically church stuff for teenagers. You go to an hour where you talk about the gospel, you talk about church stuff. And most people go early seminary, like 7 a.m. or even earlier than that. Since I lived in an LDS centric area, we had released time. So it was actually during school. We were able to take an hour off from going to school and go over to the seminary building and have seminary during school hours. That's why it was called released time. Mm-hmm. And so I would, I kind of started skipping because my grades there didn't affect my grades at, at my, at the normal high school because they were separate. And so I started skipping seminary to go spend time with this boy. And apparently rumors got started going around that I was having sex with him, which was absolutely not, it was not true. It was not accurate. Mm-hmm. And, but that kind of just started going around. Like I, started having things said about me that I was a whore, that I was slut, that I was sleeping around, that I was sleeping with this boy. Um, and my, my best friend at the time, like she was my best friend at the time actually asked me if they were true. And I was like, you know, me, like just because I'm spending time with this boy does not mean like, that's what I'm doing. And so it was, it was rough. It was very rough. My junior year was hard. You were essentially being bullied. Yeah. By the, by the people that were supposed to be supporting you. Exactly. So that was rough, but it never deterred me from the church. And like, (laughs) looking back now, I'm like, what? (laughs) Because it almost sounds like you must've been questioning it in a way. If you were skipping the seminaries, you must've 
put less importance on it at that time, at least, or? Yeah, I think it was more because it was very shameful, meaning like actually going to seminary was full of shame, like the way that they talk about sex and what you're supposed to do, what you're not supposed to do. It relies heavily on shaming you in order to help you conform. So that was part of the reason that I didn't go because I knew that I shouldn't be spending time with this boy because you're also not supposed to date one-on-one when you're 16. You're only supposed to go on group dates. And I was like dating this boy one-on-one. And so like there were just little things like that where it didn't conform to what I was supposed to be doing. And so I just felt a lot of shame when I went to seminary. So it was easier to just skip and go hang out with this boy instead. Okay. Yeah, it doesn't sound like I don't think the shame thing is terribly unique to LDS, unfortunately. No, no, it's not. So when you, okay, so you got married and your husband was uh, LDS as well. Yes. Um, Actually, I want to backtrack a little bit. You had mentioned missions. So you went on missions. What exactly? So I didn't go on a mission. He did. So for boys, they are basically required. They're basically expected to serve a two-year mission for the church. Girls go for 18 months and boys go for two years and they just go proselytize. And so my husband had done that. He got called to serve in the Washington Kennewick mission. And what does that mean to proselytize? So he basically, it's changing, especially with COVID, but it was, you basically go knock door to door and talk with people there asking if they want to hear the message of the restored gospel of and does and this, so, yeah. how successful is that? Like how, how I mean, often it, people say, it de- in, I wanna- yeah, it depends. Like I, I never served a mission, but it really depends. Some people are very successful and baptize a lot of people on their missions. Others don't have as much success and legit. You are judged on that. Like really? whether you're meant to be or not you are judged by how successful you are. On how your- good of a salesperson you are. Yeah. It's, uh- <laughs> it's, it's weird. <laughs> it's very weird. So that's what, so he went on a two-year mission for the church. Um, interesting thing on this though, like you pay for your own mission. So the church doesn't pay for it. You pay for your own mission. So there's like a monthly fee that you have to pay in order to serve a mission for the church, which is just kind of interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I got such a different world than I could ever imagine being a part of. What's the big differences between LDS and uh, the relating religions? I think the things that set it apart the most is we believe that Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost are three separate entities. Because some, you know, like the Holy Trinity, I think that's Catholicism and other, other religions believe in the Holy Trinity, but that they're one person. Mm -hmm. We believe that they're three different things that heavenly father is different from Jesus Christ. And they are both different from the Holy spirit, from the Holy ghost. So that's one thing that I know is different we believe it's three separate beings. And we also believe that all men can be saved. So all people can be saved if they accept Christ and have temple work done for them. Meaning you go through the temple and receive your endowment and get sealed to your spouse. Um, Is that 
does that cost money for someone to do? I'm just relating it to. I mean, it kind of depends. It doesn't, you don't have to pay to go to the temple, but there are not temples everywhere yet. And so getting to the temple can be very expensive for some people. For me, growing up in a small farming community in Idaho, Utah and Idaho are high LDS population. So I was never more than an hour away from a temple. But they weren't so, charged. The church wasn't charging you for materials. And, okay. No. Like you do have to pay. For, <laughs> I guess there is some something there. You have to wear special undergarments when you after you go through the temple and you have to pay for those. And so, and you, after you go through the temple, you're expected to wear them night and day all the time. You're supposed to wear them. Do people check? Is it like a... No, like they don't, like they don't technically <laughs> check, but they do ask you about it. Like, mm-hmm. cause you have to be able to hold the temple recommend in order to go. So you have to be deemed worthy by your bishop and then also by your stake president in order to be able to go. Do you miss your undergarments? Not at all. Oh my gosh. It was like, (laughs) it was one of the first things to go. Um, Because like they, there's technically blessings and promises that are made to you if you wear your garments. I have never experienced anything different when I'm wearing garments versus when I'm not. So those promised blessings and stuff that we're supposed to get, I never experienced. So you and your husband got sealed and married. What's the difference between sealed and married? So (laughs) married is what the church considers temporal. So you're only married for this life. You are sealed for time and all eternity. So essentially the church believes that if you are not sealed to your spouse, you are not married in the next life. Okay. What type of afterlife or next life do they believe in? Or is there an alien aspect to it? Or is there? So they very much believe in a, a, they're in a life after this one. And I do believe that like, there are still things that I learned from the church that I do believe in. They bring me comfort and I believe in them. Right. I very much believe in an afterlife, not the afterlife that the church believes in. They believe in like almost multiple heavens. They believe in a celestial kingdom, which is where people who are sealed, who are very good people who have their temple work done, whether in this life or the next life, um, they will go to the celestial kingdom and then see terrestrial. They also believe in a terrestrial kingdom. And that's where good people will go, but not people who have had their people who haven't had their work done won't be able to to go to the celestial world. So they'll go to the terrestrial world. And then there's the telestial kingdom that will be people who really weren't that great of people. And then they also believe in outer darkness, which is like really, really bad people. Um, like really bad people who basically accepted the gospel and then rejected it and became really terrible people. So there's also like this outer darkness, which is, you can equate it to hell. Um, so that's like the afterlife that they believe in. Gotcha. So even if you do follow the religion and you're part of the religion, you still might go to a different heaven than your sister or neighbor or brother. Yeah. Um, one thing I've always been a bit jealous because I'm not much a religious, I'm not a religious person myself, yeah. but I've always been a little jealous of people that could have a really bad day or hit depression and then 
could just say it was, you know, it's Jesus, it's, it's Jesus wanted this. Like, this is, you know, I, if I, my love for Jesus and my love for the religion pulls me out of it. And I feel like they genuinely feel that way. And it genuinely pulls them out of some of yeah. the situations or depression. And that's mm-hmm. one thing I've always been jealous of not being able to find that myself. Is that true? Like, have you been different for you since you felt that way and not? So there was some aspect of that within the church where, you know, this is just what was meant to be. This was the plan. You're just following the plan that was laid in, that was laid for you. The Lord has a reason for you to go through these things. And I absolutely believed that for a long time, but it is ultimately one of the things that made me start questioning. And so also within the church, they have what are called priesthood blessings. So the men, worthy men in the church are allowed to hold the priesthood, the Melchizedek priesthood. And it's basically what they consider God's power on earth. And so men, worthy men are allowed to give blessings to other people by laying their hands on their heads and giving them a priesthood blessing. And we believe that they are very, that they are from God, that they're direct from God. Uh, The man is just the mouthpiece for God giving this blessing. Uh, So they're very, they're considered very, very strong, very beautiful, very healing, whatever. And anyway, so I just wanted to put that out there because it will tie into this. Um, And they very much believe that things are, that everything that happens in life is basically meant to be like God had it happen because that's what was needed to make, help you grow or something. Like there's always supposedly a reason for everything. We may not know the reason, but there's supposedly always a reason for something. In 2016, I got really sick um, for about two months. I was sick and like, I was going to doctors. Like I went to the ER, I went to the urgent care a couple of times. I went to a family practitioner before ending back in the ER. So this is like two months long saga that I really struggled with because I was really sick. Like come to find out like afterward, I was quite literally dying and I had multiple priesthood blessings saying that I was going to be healed and that I was going to get better. And I had lots of people praying for me and like, I, I was doing everything right. I was reading my scriptures. I was praying daily, multiple times daily. I was doing family prayers. Like I was doing everything that you're supposed to do within the church. And I wasn't getting better. And I was like, I don't understand why heavenly father is wanting me to go through this right now. I don't like, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to. I've had priesthood blessings saying I'm going to get better and nothing is changing. And ultimately I ended up in the ER again because I was so sick and ended up in ICU and I had sepsis when I went in, like I had sepsis when I went in again, went to the ICU because I had a lung infection that was so bad. It was quite literally killing me. And I had to have a major surgery to fix it all. And it was brutal. Like it was, it was brutal. And that was the first time I was ever like mad at God because I was like, I am doing everything that I'm supposed to do. Everything that the church says that you're supposed to do, I'm doing it and I'm feeling hopeless and I'm not feeling happy and I'm sick. And it was the first time that I was like mad at God 
like full on mad at God. I had to go through the surgery to get better. Nothing could have healed me without the medical intervention. It was, it was impossible to get better without medical intervention. And I did get better and I healed very quickly, which was very cool. But that was the first time that I was like, I don't think the Lord has everything set in stone for us. I don't think that that's how things work. I don't think that we have to go through every single thing we go through to make us better people. Like, I don't think that I'm trying to figure out how to say this. I just, I realized that I didn't agree that everything that we go through, we are meant to go through because it's for our good. I I realized that I didn't believe that anymore. Sometimes we go through things because of a choice someone else made. Sometimes we go through things because something didn't get caught. I didn't get taken seriously by the doctors I went to. That's ultimately why I ended up in the ICU is because the doctors weren't doing what they should have done to figure out what was actually wrong with me. They weren't taking me seriously. And so I'm like, this wasn't God's hand in my life, making me sick, like drawing this out. I was like, this was just how it happened. Like this wasn't God putting everything in my way to make this happen. It was just what happened. Gotcha. And that really kind of shook things for me. So I was like, wait, everything I've been taught, I, about this specific thing, like, I don't think it's right anymore because I just experienced it. And so that was one of the things that really put something in there. Like it just put something within me that I was like, well, I don't believe that anymore. I don't think that's true anymore. That was the first big seed that was hatching to bring you out. Is there any, is there an anti-therapist or doctor or medicine aspect to LDS or? It really depends on how you're raised. Some people, yes, absolutely. Not everyone. Uh, I, that's not how I was raised. I was not raised anti-doctor at all. Um, like my the cancer runs rampant in my family. And so we were like, I grew up being a big proponent of making sure that you're going to a doctor and getting seen. Like my mom's a survivor of cancer. Both of my parents have skin cancer. Like, so that's not how I was raised. Okay. Sounds very dangerous when people are telling you they can cure you with their words. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So was your husband on the same page as you when you started to question it? Yes. Was he already and hadn't mentioned it to you? So, yeah. So we are, we have a very, very close relationship. Like honestly, even within a marriage, like my husband and I are very, very close. We have a very, very good relationship. It was almost a relief to him when I started questioning and struggling because he's honestly, he was honestly struggling and questioning since the very first time he went through the temple when he was 20, 21. Uh, but he's just been pushing it down. He'd basically just been pushing it down his all over all since then pushing it down as being like, Oh, you know, maybe like, maybe it's just me. So when I started questioning and whatnot, it was actually really helpful and good for him because he was finally allowed to be like, yeah, I think this, excuse my language. He's like, I think this is a crock of shit. Oh, <laughs> like, <wow. laughs> um, like that's when things, 
I don't know, really got even better for our relationship, honestly, because we really turned to each other with all of the stuff that was going on with church stuff. And so when I started really questioning, he was always there to listen and bounce things back with me and have really good, like deep discussions on things. And so when I ultimately told him, because we were toying with the idea, like we'd, we talked about it regularly, like, are we done with the church? Are we still just going to kind of keep like one foot in and do our best to stay in? Like we were constantly flip-flopping and, um, funnily enough, uh, like ironically (laughs) last October during general conference. So they do these semi-annual big general conferences where we hear from the leaders of the church. And it's a huge thing. It's like a huge thing for the church. They do a two hour morning session on Saturday, a two hour afternoon session on Saturday, and then a two hour session in the evenings on Saturday for either the priesthood or the relief society. It goes back and forth, um, depending on which one it is. So six hours ultimately on Saturday that you're listening and watching general conference. And then on Sunday, there is two hour morning session and a two hour afternoon session. So in total, it's 10 hours over the weekend of listening to the prophet and apostles from within the church. And we were watching it last gen- last October. And one of the things that was said was you can't straddle. You can't be with, you can't be in and out of the church. You can't straddle this line. You have to make a decision. And by not making, like not making a decision on what to do is a decision. And I was like, I don't think this is what they meant to say, but what I heard, like what went in with me was not making a decision is a decision. And I need to make a decision whether I'm in or out. And I decided that I wanted to be out Oh well, like after like that talk, we turned conference off after that talk. I got in the shower and my husband was in the bathroom and I was like, so I'm done. We talked for a little bit. He's like, me too. And so we were like, kind of, he couldn't be because he technically worked for the church. Oh, wow. And in order to be employed by the church, you have to have a current temple recommend and his expired on December 31st of last year. And so we basically had to have him keep pretending, keep doing what he could so that he could hold that temple recommend through December 31st. And then his, then he had to quit. Uh, So his job ended December 31st. And that is why now I work full-time. I got a job full-time and he now is the full-time stay-at-home parent while I work. Wow, it's amazing how fresh all of this is. It's really just like still happening as you're going. Yeah. Have you two had any trouble separating maybe judgments that you have for doing certain things or? My husband and I, for the past couple of years, especially have really been, we've been leaning away from the church and the, like the teachings of the church. It's actually been a very smooth transition and we've been very kind with ourselves and with others. (laughs) And I don't know, like I haven't seen a whole lot from 
church judgments and whatnot within myself or towards other people, because we were already trying to pull away from that. And so it's been kind of smooth coming out. Impressive if you can do that so easily, because it's, it's been ingrained in you since such a, a young age. And I know a big part of religion, unfortunately, is judging people. It seems yeah, like it is. it is saying what's right and what's wrong. And yes. And I think it was a little bit easier for us because we, while we did go to BYU, which is a church, which is an LDS owned, you know, private school, um, we did theater (laughs) and that is the most like liberal of areas to go to with, even within religion. And so we met a lot of people within the, within the theater department that were not your typical LDS people. Um, lots of people within the LGBTQ plus community, which is now like, I consider myself a huge ally for the LGBTQ plus community. Um, that's something I'm very outspoken about. It's one of the biggest reasons that a wedge really got placed between me and the church because of the way that they treat members of that community. Um, and so we'd been exposed to people at BYU who were technically LDS, but not your traditional LDS people. And that really was good for me because it started making me realize, oh, I have judgments towards people that are completely inaccurate. So I'd actually kind of dealt with that just by going to BYU, which is really odd since it's still a church school, but just by getting to know other people who didn't conform to the LDS standards or ideals, I had actually kind of confronted that whole judgment a lot earlier while I was still in the church. So stepping away just made it even easier to just kind of throw that aside and be like, no, we're just going to go based on love and kindness. I'm passionate about it as well. My brother was gay, unfortunately passed away, but I've always been, I've been an advocate for 20 plus years. So it's, yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry about your brother passing away. That's always losing people is just hard. Yeah. It's just hard. Yeah, that, that sucked. That sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Miss him, miss him all the time. Um, talking about scars, you host a podcast right now and you have a website uh, called Scars We Share. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> so I explained um, in 2016 how I was really sick, ended up in the sur- with this major surgery. Um, I, so my husband's a photographer and I wanted to write a blog post about my experience in the hospital. And I wanted to have pictures of my scars to show, but because of where the scar is, like it's on the back, back left kind of side of my body because of where the scars are. And I also have like three scars on the side from having chest tubes put in afterward. And so in order to have pictures of those scars, I had to be topless for the photos. And my husband's the one taking these photos, like my husband, the person I'm most comfortable and what with, like the person who's seen every detail of my body. I, he was taking the photos of me topless. And I was like, this is, I'm feeling so vulnerable. Like I, like I was really struggling with him taking the photos. And so I was like, oh my gosh, I want to relate our physical scars to internal scars. Cause for me, like I, it, confidence and self-esteem was something that I struggled with very, very strongly and badly growing up, like bad, bad, bad. It's something that I have had to put a lot of work and effort into to be confident in where I am now. Um, 
And so I was like, hey, I'm going to write this whole blog post and relate physical scars and internal scars. Because how awesome is that? Because it's a scar internal, like they are still a scar, even if it's somewhat healed over, it's just like a physical scar where there's still, it's a scar. And sometimes it still hurts. Like the scar on my back, there's times when it still hurts. If you touch it weird, it hurts. And so I was like, Hey, I'm going to relate these internal and physical scars. And then I was like, this is so much more than a blog post. Maybe I'll have like guest bloggers. And I was like, no, it's still more than that. (laughs) And so scars we share podcast was born. (laughs) And so I just interview different people and we talk about physical and internal scars on each episode. They just share their stories with me. Uh, That's really neat. And I love the relation between the physical and the the mental aspect of it. Um, uh, That's really great. What, what is, what do you think you've gotten out of it the most? What's, I, I can't imagine people opening up to you like that and what they're sharing. I, I'm sure it's. I am constantly blown away by the vulnerability and courage that people bring onto my show. Um, like I'm just, I'm constantly just amazed that people will share with me. I love it. So I love talking with people. I love being vulnerable, vulnerable with people. Like I said, nothing is off the table for me. Like I am open to talking about anything and everything because I think it's important to talk about things. And I have, I'm very passionate about talking about things that people don't always like to talk about. I am a huge advocate for suicide awareness. Um, my best friend commuted suicide when I was 18 and that kind of rocked my world at the time. And so I am a massive proponent for suicide awareness. So I, I've talked with people who have had uh, suicide ideation, who have attempted suicide. Like I, so I really just wanted to create something that connected these physical and internal scars, but that talked about things that need to be talked about that aren't talked about because they're considered taboo subjects and they shouldn't be taboo subjects. It's through talking about things that people realize that they're not alone and they real, they find healing when they hear other people talking about things that they've been through. I'm very passionate about that. And that's what people bring to my show. Like, it, it just amazes me what people bring to my show. And I've cried with my guests. I've like, I've laughed with them. Like it, it is just beautiful. Uh, I, I completely relate. It's one of the reasons I do this podcast. I, I <laughs> love the personal connections I've made with people and exactly. uh, open and honest. And I, I think that's what helps yeah. the most is, is when you show your vulnerability and just honest about everything. Yep. Brene Brown queen. Oh my gosh. Of vulnerability. I love her. Like, yes. I think that when we are vulnerable, that's when we've reached true connection within relationships. It is very true. Yes. I'm a fan of hers as well. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Um, Please people go to scarswesshare.com. Is there anywhere else people can find you or is that the main so that's my website. I'm every like Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. If you just search scars, we share, like I'm the f- only thing that comes up basically. <laughs> uh, but like TikTok, I think I'm just at scars. We share Instagram scars.we.share and facebook.com slash scars. We share like it's 
I've tried to make it across the board, just scars we share everywhere I'm at. Makes it easy. You yeah. learned your branding from LDS. You yes. Scarswesshare.com. <laughs> <laughs> and again, uh, this is produced by Dweebs Globals. Please go to dweebsglobal.org. They do free mentorships uh, from anything from mental health to resume writing. And again, it's completely confidential and it's completely free. There's no catches, no strings attached. It's free. So thank you so much again. This was a thank delight. Thank you. Thank you.